Amen. Well, praise God. So thankful uh, for the children's ministry and the McGuire's who are helping them out uh, to see the truth of this season and the significance again of this season. So thankful we get to come together. We had an excellent time on uh, uh, last uh, Friday. Uh, we inaugurated our, our the beginning of our Christmas season here in Emmanuel Baptist Church by having our annual uh, adult Christmas party, uh, where it's the only time uh, that we can sanctifyingly uh, steal somebody else's gifts. And so we uh, had a great time, and I think the gift that everybody wanted was a little uh, reindeer, but I'm not sure who got that reindeer. And uh, I think, again, once it was discovered, she was going to get it no matter what, <laughs> no matter who had it at the end, they were going to give it to her. And uh, so, so thankful for uh, the fun we had and uh, just being able to laugh and sing and also hear some good preaching that night. We we're really um, uh, thankful for that and so thankful again to be here this morning, so thankful to be looking at this passage of Scripture. And one of the things I really enjoy, and I hope it's been, been apparent, is I love going through a passage of Scripture, going through whole books. You know, I find uh, so often when you go through books, you're going to hit on subjects you never thought you would, you would uh, hit on. And probably, again, a uh, passage of Scripture that's not very popular for somebody to choose as far as to preach on, it happens to be, again, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And uh, we're going to have a sermon on Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7. Uh, today, the last two Sundays we've had, ha- had it, and we're also going to have one next week. And you can squeeze a lot of lemon out of, uh, out of really, really good lemons. And there's a lot that happened to begin right here. And I really love this passage of Scripture because it's important for a couple reasons. And, one, and it's important uh, for a couple reasons as it deals with ecclesiology. When we talk about ecclesiology, what we're talking about is the doctrine of the church, how the church functions, how the church operates. You know, and this passage is a go-to passage as far as ecclesiology, and it's important for a couple reasons. One is it shows the structure, the structure of the church, the formation of the church, this entity that we call the visible church of the Lord Jesus Christ starts to take form. It starts to take format. You know, we see the skeletal uh, structure of it again uh, here in the choosing of these seven men that will be over the distribution of the wealth that's coming into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for the needs for the physical needs of those who happen to be again around them. And any time you choose individuals to lead in any capacity, especially the church of Jesus Christ, they, they, they uh, uh, become open for scrutiny, you know, for, for criticism. But without their ministry, there really is no unity. There really is no going forth in purpose, for, for an intended purpose, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what you see in this passage of Scripture. I don't think anything is done that's really meaningful, that's really purposeful without some sort of organization, with, without some skeletal structure to take us where we want to go. You know, and without this structure, even here, the apostles are not able to go on and preach the word, are they? You know, they have to take care of this little fire or this, this situation or that situation that happens to be again over, here, over there. And none of that's taken care of. The widows, you know, these widows and the distribution is not taken care of. You know, the problem that we have so often is we hate to put ourselves under any structure. We hate to put ourselves under any authority. You know, we hate to submit to that, you know, if we can use that word. You know, and when you look at that, the reason why we don't like it is because naturally, again, uh, we want to call the shots. We want to decide what is right, what is wrong for ourselves. And let me just say that's the oldest sin that happens to be in the book, isn't it? 
You see that sin right in the beginning with Adam and Eve, right? They want to be like God. But let me tell you, there is no purpose, there's no glory to God that's ever been brought, that's ever been brought before him without purpose, without organization in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see that start to take its formation right here in this passage of Scripture. That's why it's important. The other reason why it's important is you have to remember, up until this time, you know, when we look at Acts 6, when we look at Acts, uh, Acts uh, 7, up until that time, there's only one church that exists. You know, just one church. And how this church functions, you know, when you look at the priority of how this church is going to fu function, it becomes the template for all the other churches. Otherwise, they're going to look at the church of Jerusalem. They're going to see how it functioned, how it operated, what was of primary importance in that church. And that's what's going to become the primary importance in their church. In, in their churches. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves, you know, what is the greatest importance? You know, what is the greatest need that we have? Is it physical or is it spiritual? You know, for the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that happened to begin right here, it was spiritual. You know, let's choose seven men that we might give ourselves over to the preaching of God's word. And we looked at that the last couple of weeks. You know, and the temptation is to make something else more important. It doesn't matter, again, how noble, how good it is, but make something else more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so next week, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the choosing, again, of these seven individuals that would carry out the distribution, which was absolutely essential, absolutely necessary in this, in this church. But, the, but this morning, I want us to look at the sameness. I want, want us to look at three verses where we have something repetitive, you know, going over and over and over. And they happen to be in verse number two, verse number four, and verse number seven of this passage of Scripture. And let me just read them to you. Verse number two says this, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And then we see something similar in verse number four. It says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then we have in verse number seven, these words, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of the priests became obedient to the faith. You know, and we see this repeated over and over and over and over again. In other words, there's an emphasis that happens to be again right here. And I think that's absolutely important. You know, because even as we mentioned last time, the church many times is pushed in this direction or pushed in that direction by many times well-meaning people, but they want to make the church about something else. We want the church to be a political movement. We want it to shape policies that happen to begin of our government. We want certain freedoms, certain rights, certain liberties that happen to begin right here. And the church should be at the forefront of all these things. And we push here. You know, and so, and so many people want the church, here it is, to be about themselves. You know, this is what's behind what is known as the mega church movement. Again, it basically asks this question, what do people want? What will it take to get people in the door? What will it get people, again, interested in God? You know, whatever it is, again, we want to give it to them. You know, what kind of messages do they want? You know, do they want a good pick-me-up message that will make them feel good about themselves? Do they want social times? But it's all about the person. You know, and there's always the, the, these pressures. There's always these, um, the, the, these, uh, the, these various different things of pushing the church in this direction or that direction of making it something that it was never intended to be. And as we come to verse number, or chapter number 6, 
we see what takes precedence in, the, in this uh, church. And what takes precedence is none other than the preaching, again, of God's word. And when you think about the preaching of God's word, you know, the preaching of God's word is talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the doctrines that happen to be again around us. And when we talk about the gospel and we talk about all the doctrines that happen to be around us, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And this is what the church is. The, the church is the buttress, right? It holds up the word of God. It protects the word of God and it proclaims the word of God. You know, and as you come out this morning, I mean, why did you come out this morning? You know, why are you here this morning? I think a lot of times we get so lost in recognizing what we need most that happen to be in, in our lives. You know, and what it is is this gospel. So I, I want to preach on that this morning. You know, I hope it will be a blessing. I hope it will guide you even during this time of Christmas to recognize the significance of the preaching of the word and realizing beyond a shadow of a doubt, I need a declaration of this word in my life. I need a declaration of this word in my life. So what I want us to do is I want us to see why the preaching of the word of God is so central. And then I want us to see the outcome. You know, what flows out of that when we have a word central ministry? You know, this is the priority. So first of all, you know, let's look at the preaching of God's word. Why is it, why is it so central? You know, and as we read those three verses, it should have been, again, obvious that there was a repetition in them, right? Something was repeated over and over and over. And, and that's, a, that's a good Bible study. When you see something repeated over and over, it means it's important. And I think a lot of times we just read Scripture really fast, right? Uh, there's not much in, in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Let's just read it really fast. You know, some guys with some funny names. Let's just read it real fast and we can get on to the good stuff, right? And we think that. And I love what Martin Luther, I, I appreciate Martin Luther, and I, and I, 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 I uh, read this quote a long time ago, and I found it so helpful in my own Bible study. But he said, again, look at a passage of Scripture as a tree. And he says, when you come to that passage of Scripture, look at all the tree. You know, observe the tree. In other words, look at, look at the whole passage at one time. Read it through. Read it through many times. You know, get, get an understanding of it. And then he says, look at the individual branches. And what he meant by that is look at each verse independently on its own. And he says, after you've done that, look at, look at every limb. Other, other words, go down and start looking at the phrases. Look at the clauses. You know, after that, look at the twigs. In other words, look at all these words that connect other words. And then look at every leaf and shake every leaf. And, that, and what he meant by that is look at every single word and make sure you understand every single word and see what's there. And one of the things that should pop out when you read this passage of Scripture is that there is a repetition. You know, there's a repeating, there's a repeating, there's a repeating. This is what we are called to do. You know, and we see that. You know, you see that in verse number four. You know, the apostle says, say to the um, uh, congregation there at, at uh, Jerusalem, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God. In other words, it would be wrong. Be wrong to do anything else, no matter how noble, no matter how good. It would be wrong because this is what is absolutely necessary in people's lives. And it also says in verse number four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word of God. And there we see there's this devotion to this two-pronged task you know, of prayer and the preaching of God's word. And both of them, again, belong together because what we're praying for is that the word of God 
would seep into our hearts, that the word of God would change our hearts, that the word of God would become preeminent, and the God of the word, this Jesus of the word, would become preeminent in each one of our lives. You know, through the preaching of his word. And then we read in verse number seven, it says, the word of God continued to increase. And what that means is, again, in two sets, you know, the, the, the great sense that many times we think of it was me reaching more people and reaching more people and reaching more people. Many more people were believing on the gospel, believing on Jesus Christ. But it also means this. It's increasing in the hearts of his people, right? They're seeing who Jesus Christ is. And as they see who Jesus Christ is, there is a joy. There is a fascination. There is a desire. And I truly believe this. Whatever most excites your heart is the thing you want to talk about. Isn't that true? Right? Right? How, how, uh, no, no, I shouldn't say, say this. I was going to say, how many grand, uh, grandparents put up your hands? And probably some of you would put up your hands, but I'm not, I'm not going to say that. But grandparents love to talk about who, what? What's their favorite subject? Grandkids, thank you. This is not difficult, by the way. Uh, they love to talk about their grandchildren. Uh, it's delight. You see smiles that happen to be again in the face. Just think of the gospel. Just think of the word of God. Oh, here is my God. Here's my Savior. And we become these external testimonies of this great God, this great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what he means by the word of God increasing. Not just the ministry of the apostles, but the ministry of the people, the saints that happen to be in Jerusalem, bringing forth this word. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but what I want us to see is the necessity of the preaching of the, of the word of God. Again, this, this word, word is mentioned three times, right? It's talking about the Bible. It's talking about, again, God's word that's given. It's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And think of the significance of it, because I love descriptive words, right? It's not just called the word, but it's called the word, here it is, of God. Right? That's significance. When you look at of God, it's possessive. This is God's Word. And even as we read this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. You know, and what he means by breathed out, right? What he means is the very breath of God. He's talking about it as being the production of God. Just like God spoke creation into existence. Here it is. He breathed out. It's his production, all of the word of God. And when you look at the word of God, there's no other book that happened to begin like it. I mean, think of it. The word of God, the Bible, took 1,500 years to produce by over 40 different authors. Praise God. 40 different authors. You know, and you look at it, different histories, different times, people in different walks of life. And when you look at all of that that happened to begin right there, you know, it never contradicts itself. You know, it has paradise lost in the beginning. It has paradise found again in the end. And it has this common theme about this coming of the Savior. And then we see the coming of the Savior. Then we see this great salvation. That, 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 that was uh, predicted as early as the opening chapters of, of uh, Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. And it's an incredible, again, book. And what it witnesses to, even though there's these 40 different authors that God selected these individuals with all their culture, with all their vocabulary, to write down exactly what he wants written down. So what we have is none other than one author, one main author, and it happens to be again God. It's the word of God. 
You know, it's his word, breathed out, produced by him. Somebody gave me a book years ago. I think uh, I was doing a funeral or uh, something, and one of the family members wanted to thank me for it, and he bought me a book, and he didn't know what book to buy me, and he bought me this book by a secular philosopher who was very popular. I guess he teaches on PBS. I forget his name, but I can remember, again, thumbing through it. You know, I wanted to be courteous and read some of it and all of that. But it was amazing to read through it because he kept on using an, expre- an expression all over, a number of ex- expressions that were just synonymous. And, and it was basically this, this is what I believe, this is what I think, this is my opinion. And he kept on saying that over and over and over, these, these are my ob- observations, this is what I think is true. You know, and what he was talking about, again, is basically who God was. What he was talking about, again, is what he saw as the will, again, of humanity. And he kept on using those expressions. This is my opinion. And when he comes to the Word of God, this is what separates the Word of God from all other writings. It's not an opinion. It's not, again, this is what I believe. It's not man's quest to find God. But when you read the Word of God, it reads in, in this. I don't know if you've ever heard this term, propositional terms. And what propositional terms just basically means is that they're a matter of fact, right? It doesn't say, this is my opinion, this might be true, you know, this is the way I see it. But it states it as fact. You know, a good example of that would be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And listen to what it says. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received. Now listen listen what you see. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, right? He doesn't say, you know, I've been examining the life of Jesus. I've been examining what, the, what he said. I've been examining, again, what the uh, religious leaders did, did. And these are the conclusions I've come to. This is my point of view about it. He says, no, this is what happened. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. That's a propositional fact. You know, that happened to be there. He goes on and says this, and he says that he was buried, right? Right, propositional fact. And then he says something extraordinary, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. That's a propositional fact, right? And think of it. Why does the Word of God speak in propositional phrases? And the reason why is because of this. It is the Word of, here it is, God. And therefore, it becomes my great authority in my life. And when we speak of authority, I'm not just talking about commands and decrees that happen to be there, but it's my great authority about life, my great authority about who God is, my great authority about who I am, my great authority about how I can relate to this holy God that happened to be in heaven, right? I submit myself, I place myself under this word that happens to be again right here. You know, and we realize that, you know, we hear God, uh, God's word through the preaching. God has spoken. But notice here the activity, because I love this activity. Because the activity is what? What's the activity? It's, thank you, preaching the word of God. I was trying to give you a hint, like, but preaching the word of God. You know, and I, I, and I hear this among preachers many times, and, and I get where, where they're coming from. You know, when I stand in a pulpit, I'm preaching to an audience of one. Boom, 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 boom. Well, that's great, but there's people in front of you. You know, and really what they're called to do, and this is what they're saying, I'm giving, I'm giving over this activity. I'm giving this over the activity. And the activity is not to go off into your bedroom and preach a message. You know, it's just between me and God. 
No, the activity is we, we want to preach this word of God to people. And why? And it's because of this, because God has made himself known. Have you ever thought about that, how amazing that is? Think about it. I mean, we have creation that happens to be around us and speaks of the wisdom, speaks of the glory, speaks of the power, speaks of the majesty of Jesus. But you cannot know God personally. You can't know that his son came. You can't know that he died for our sins. You can't know, again, how we can relate to this great God that happened to be. I mean, here's the thing you have to realize. God didn't have to make himself known. God is a perfect being, right? I think a lot of times we say this. You know, God was lonely, and therefore he provided salvation to Jesus Christ. Let me, let me say that's hogwash. God is a perfect being. Three persons in one being of God that are in perfect fellowship, perfect adoration, perfect happiness, perfect joy, needing nothing, including us. But here's what this God did. He condescended and made himself known. He spoke to us. And so think about that. If God really communicated to us, if I really believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the word of God, and this is the only word of God to know him. Think about it. How important is the word of God to you? And think about it. So let's see the logic. You know, we're not going to do anything. No, we're not going to give ourselves. No, no, no. We're not going to go in that direction. No, no, we're not going to be doing this. We're going to give ourselves over to the preaching of the word of God. Think of the wisdom of that. Think of the logic of that. What else would you want when you come out to church? What else would you want, again, even in that first century, for the apostles to give themselves over that I might know this great God that happened to be again of the scripture? Why would we want to take the church and make it about anything else except knowing this God, his will, his ways, you know, his authoritative communication to us? And I think it's a great message. I, th I think so often we apply this uh, to preachers, don't we? You know, the message that's given to preachers on any given Sunday is preach the word, right? Preach the word right in season and out of season. You know, uh, even if people have itchy ears, even if they want to accumulate, you know, teachers and preachers to themselves to give them the message that they want to hear, preach the word. Preach the word. Even when it's unpopular, preach the word, right? We realize that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And it's a great message that happens to be again for people, but it's a great message for each one of us. Let me ask you, how important is the word of God to you this morning? And more importantly, even the preaching of God's word, recognizing that this is one of the means that God has ordained, you know, that there would be a preacher who looks in the word of God, exposes the word of God, gives the word of God, explains the word of God, applies the word of God. How important is that in your life? How necessary is it really in your life? How much, how much do we look in with an inspectancy? This is one of the means of grace that God has given us to increase his presence in my life. How important is it? Right? What did you do last night? What did you do last night? Right? Here's last night. You know, we're going to get up in the morning. 
And at 8.30, we're going to be gathering together. I guess it's 9.30, sorry. 9.30, we're going to be gathering together to sing, to hear the word of God. Proclaim to us, what did you do last night? You know, I, I see this so often. It really burdens my heart, and it almost brings me to tears. People will roll in. They look like they just got out of bed. They've been up to the wee hours in the morning watching television, visiting, or whatever it happened to be. I'm not talking about if they were off on some rank sinful things. But there's no preparation. You know, they try to muddle through the songs while they're thinking of other things, and they try to stay awake, you know, as a preacher again preaches from his heart for 40 minutes, and then they go home, and then they do their things, and they're never changed by the Word of God. And they wonder, what's wrong? And how often on a Saturday night do we prepare our hearts to come out recognizing beyond a shadow of a doubt this is the word of God that's going to be spoken into our lives? You know, how often, you know, I appreciate, again, the men who, um, who, who get the liturgy ready. You know, this is what we're going to sing. These are scripture passages that we're going to read. And this is the passage that Pastor Scott is going to preach. But how often... Do we look at that and say, I'm going to read that passage of Scripture to prepare my heart so, I, so it's not foreign to me that I recognize what is going to be preached that day? How often? How often do we pray to God? God, use that in the lives of your saints. Use it in my life so that I might see Christ and recognize the importance of my life. Right? How often? Because it's so easy to say, wow, this is a great message for, for those who preach the Word of God. But how important? Is the word of God, is if the word of God is the word of God, which it is. How important is it in our life? How important, again, is it in our life every single Sunday when we enter into Emmanuel Baptist Church? Are we ready? Are we expecting to God to use his word in, in a way that really moves us, really shapes us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, causes us to grow? Because I believe, again, if we are committed to this, if we are committed to knowing the God of the Word through the Word of God, that there's really an outcome to that. You know, and you see that outcome that happens to begin in this passage of Scripture. And let me just read verse number 7 again as a way of introducing this. In verse number 7, it says, In the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's an amazing verse, by the way, and we're going to explain it again a little further as we go along. But it's an incredible verse, isn't it? Because when you look at the church of Jesus Christ, I don't know how many times saints talk about this, but they talk about the church being in dire times, you know, weak times, especially again in North America. You know, I was uh, uh, months ago when I was putting a sermon together, I was reading a CBC article that basically said uh, that 9,000 churches in Canada are going to close their doors and never reopen in the next century. And they bemoan the fact, this is CBC, bemoan the fact. You know, and, and it's amazing. The reason why they bemoan the fact is they recognize this how much churches do. Uh, do. How good they are in a society. How they form structure for families. How they form structures for our society. Now, they're not talking about the gospel. They're just talking about the external manifestation of those who truly love God. You know, I can, I can remember um, uh, there's a uh, town 
that's uh, in Nova Scotia, uh, close to where my parents live, called Wolfville. And it has Acadia University, and you drive through it, and it's a huge university. The university was actually begun as a seminary to train Baptist preachers. You know, it's amazing to go through. They, they still have a small seminary there um, uh, today, but it's amazing to drive through the town because you drive through the town and you go past this church and it's been turned into a bar. You, you know, which is very common today. You see many old church buildings turned into bars, turned into restaurants, turned into uh, gyms or whatever it happened to be. You know, but I couldn't help reflecting. Again, here's this uh, town, you know, that was a... Um, Baptist stalwart, you know, here he was his church, and years ago, you know, it echoed forth the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it preached, you know, salvation found in him, in him alone, and it was a vibrant church. You know, and with these sounds that must have come from that church, must have been amazing. And I wondered, in contrast, what was going on on a typical Friday, typical Saturday, typical Sunday, that happened to be again in that bar at that time, which it happened to be there. And I know it's only a building. I recognize that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But when you look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, both those who happen to be outside of the church and those who happen to be inside of the church, many times bemoan the fact that the church is going through difficult days. You know, and the great emphasis right here is that we need to reinvent the church. You know, more young people than ever before are leaving the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and we bemoan the fact. You know, in one generation, there's going to be all these churches that haven't begun shut down. But let me tell you, you know, this is where we have to be careful. And the reason why we have to be careful is the numbers are skewed. The numbers are skewed, and I'm not saying that these are all the churches that happen to be closing, but the vast majority of churches that happen to be closing are churches that no longer preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, no longer hold this up as the word of the living God that is absolutely necessary, the most necessary thing in the lives of the saints, the most necessary things in the lives of our community is to hear this word. And think of it, so the pastor stands up on a given Sunday morning, he might quote again a verse that happens to be again right here, and he'll say something like this. He'll say, this is how I see things. This is my opinion. And a person sitting right back there, well, if that's just his opinion, and this book is just about man's quest to find God, then my opinion is just as valid as his. Why do I need to come out? Why do, why do I need to follow what he thinks God is? Right? And there's no reason, but when you, when you recognize this is the word of God and recognize with passion what God has done for us, it creates a love for God. And the other thing that we have to realize, and this is where we have to be careful, what constitutes, I want you to think about this, what constitutes a healthy church? Right? So when you look at a church, and you look at a church that happened to be again over there, or you look at a church that happens to be over there, or you look at a church that happens to be here, what constitutes a healthy church? You know, what constitutes a church that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it their budget? Look at how much money they take in. How about this? Is it the amount of people through the door? I can fill this church next week. I can. Please do it, Pastor. 
I really can. You know how I can fill, uh, fill it? And Fatima would probably throw some tomatoes at me, but I would put a sign out front and say, uh, $500 for every person who comes in the door next week. Right? And guess what? We'd have to fill a fellowship hall. We'd have people standing in the hallways. It ain't difficult. So here's a question. I want you to think about it. What constitutes a healthy church? And what constitutes a healthy church is not what you think or I think. It's what God says. You know, and you see this again so wonderfully in this passage of Scripture that happens to begin right here in verse number four, because listen to what the disciples, they recognize what constitutes a healthy assembly, what they need to be given over to. And look at what they say right here. But we will devote ourselves. Now, now think about that. What does devote mean? Right? right? Because like I say, a lot of times we don't look at words. Devote means to give yourself over. You know, you just throw yourself, your whole life, your whole passion, because you see the necessity of this. It's a strong word, isn't it? And we will devote ourselves to two things, to prayer, and here it is, to the ministry of the word. And so the first thing that the disciples do is they devote themselves to prayer. And think of what prayer is. Prayer is the language of dependence, isn't it? And so, and so we, can, we can go and, you know, I can say, oh, man, I got some cool illustrations. People are going to laugh. People are going to be challenged by this, and it's all about me. It's all about how I explain it and things like that. Let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, we have no power to change anyone's human heart. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because, because, because either we're going to be dependent upon God or we're not going to be dependent upon God. You know, and, and, and uh, I love the words again of uh, Jesus when he talks about, again, uh, the church. He says in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. Listen to who will build the church. I will build the church, right? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? And who's building the church? Is it me? Is it you? Ultimately, praise God, he can use these God-ordained uh, um, abilities that we have, but who's building the church? Right? He even says this, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, Peter, but my Father who happens to be again in heaven. And prayer is a language of dependence upon this great God. He's the one who can open hearts. He's the one who can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. But when you really look at it, do we believe that? Do we? And if we say yes, how important is prayer in our lives? Oh, the church is going to have a prayer meeting? I really enjoyed Sunday school. Here it is. It's uncomfortable. I might have to pray it loud. I ain't going to do it. And let me ask you, how much do you pray about the preaching of God's word and the efficacy of God's word in the hearts of God's people if this is God's ordained way that he will cause the word of God to increase in my heart and your heart and the community that happens to be around us? How often? 
You know, do you have a prayer life? Do you have that time even set aside, again, uh, um, by, by, by yourself? And if there's not, do we really depend upon God? And maybe this is one of the reasons why the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in general is so anemic, looks so lethargic, and looks so, so tired. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves over to this activity. And they gave themselves over to the preaching, to the ministry of the word. Otherwise, they threw themselves into this. You know, they preached, they taught, they sang, they did everything again as far as the word of God. It occupied a central place in their lives. It occupied a central place in the life of the church. And let me tell you, I'm always challenged by this. I'm probably challenged by this um, a couple times a year. You know, somebody will come up to me, and I know they're well-meaning, but they'll say something like this, Pastor, you know, we should, we should look at some, doing something else on Sunday night. You know, and let me just say this. There's nothing that says that we need to have a preaching service on Sunday night. There's nothing in Scripture. You know, if we all of us decided to stop uh, a Sunday evening service, there would be nothing against it. It doesn't mean we're unbiblical. You know, but their whole point was this. When the people of God gather together, it's all right to do something else. You know, maybe we could have coffee. Maybe on Wednesday uh, we can have a whole quarter where we just get together. And we just, remember, there's nothing in the Word of God that says we have to gather on a Wednesday night to, to uh, study the Word of God. Right? To have even a time of prayer. There's nothing to have us be there in the Word of God. Right? Maybe we can just gather together for a whole quarter and play board games and get to know one another. We can talk about politics. We can talk about sports. We can talk about, again, our lives, our jobs, or anything else that happens beginning around us. And I'm always challenged about that. Every single year. And I know people are well-meaning. You know, and that's the temptation here. You 12, come here. Look at how they're treating these widows. Let's make it about something else. Right? That's the temptation. And what the disciples say is, no, no, when the people of God gather together, the central aspect of our worship has to be, has to be hearing from this great God above, recognizing who he is seeing his authoritative word through authoritative message that has been given. You know, you look at what goes on so often in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's no wonder, again, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ seems to be dying out. When we look at liberal churches, that is the whole problem with, with liberal churches. You know, they've left the efficacy. They've left, again, the prominence of the preaching of this word that happens to begin right here. And they gave themselves over to it. They devoted themselves over to it. They said, no, we're not going to go this direction or this direction. And look what happens in verse number 7. I love this. It says in verse number 7, it says, And the word of God continued. In other words, it continued in the way it was going. We didn't get off course. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And the idea, again, of the word of God increase, right? The word of God increase. 
Here it is. And there's increase in his disciples. And we even see these priests coming to a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But like I say, the word of God increasing. He's talking about our hearts too. You know, we're starting to see more and more the beauty of Christ. We're starting to see more and more the great hope. The great hope I have in Christ. We're starting to see more and more what miserable sinners we are. But the great grace, the great love, the great mercy that has been showered upon us in Jesus Christ. And we start to love this. We want to talk about it. We want, again, others to come to this saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see the number of disciples. In other words, followers that truly loved Christ. Multiplied. And get this. Even some of the priests. You know, I can remember a young guy that I worked with at Canadian Tire. Two people. One of them, again, happened to be um, a man um, who, who was a born-again believer, and we used to go to lunch, and we used to pray together, and I really enjoyed his fellowship. You know, and I, I met him, and he worked there for about two or three months, and then after that, I never saw him again. You know, he quit the job, and he went off somewhere else, and hopefully serving the Lord today. But I can remember him talking about it, because I was new there at a Canadian Tire, and I can remember him talking about a certain individual and his name was Arthur. And Arthur was really rough. I mean, really rough. His conversation was rough. Everything was rough that happened to be again about him. And I can remember him saying, don't try to talk to Arthur about the gospel. And I asked him why, and he says he's beyond redemption. And I can remember two or three months later, we were at an evangelistic service in our church, and he was down on the altar with his niece, you know, asking Christ to come into his heart change his life. You know, and here's the amazing thing. Think about this. Think about this. Think about it. Because like I say, we rush to a passage of scripture. A great many of the priests believe now. And let me ask you a question. Where are they? And they are at Jerusalem. Could these priests be many of the priests that were around the cross mocking scorning and ridiculing Jesus Christ as he hung in pain. And here we see, right? Here we see. A church that is given over to the priority of prayer and preaching of the word of God can do great things for God. We have to get it really clear in our minds what's necessary in our life and what's necessary in our community that happens to be around us, and what are the true marks of a healthy church that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. May God continue to keep the pulpit hot here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, true to the word of God because of the prayers of God's people for his eternal glory. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, what an incredible passage of Scripture. Lord, so often we read this, so often we fly through this. So often, Lord, we see that there's nothing else that, uh, than these men were chosen uh, to distribute uh, this wealth, Lord, for the needs, the physical needs of the, those who were really suffering, really suffering in that day and age. But, Lord, as we go through the passage, we start to see this dynamic. 
we start to see what we're called to do here in Emmanuel Baptist Church. We're called even, Lord, to participate, Lord, through prayer, participate in really being active and active listeners, Lord. Lord, we don't come as spectators this morning. We come as participants, Lord, to worship you, to honor you, to hear from you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can call it the word of God because it is your word. Just be with us, Lord. We thank you so much, and we come in Christ's name. Amen.